You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to our Faith Roots Bible lesson. Uh, We're talking about the righteousness of faith, and there's so much good stuff in this idea, this subject, and and it's very pertinent to the way that we walk with God today. In fact, I'm convinced it's the biggest misunderstanding that believers have in their walk with Christ. They do not understand their righteousness. They don't have righteousness awareness, and because they don't fully appreciate the righteousness of God, they live in a lot of condemnation. And there's no reason for that to be because Christ came to end that. So let's take a look at Hebrews 11.3, New King James Version. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, we touched on this in uh, lesson number two, but it's this idea that we need to get settled the order of God's kingdom is that things that are invisible give birth to the things that are visible. The invisible produces the visible. Uh, we understand that God made the world. You can't see God. God is invisible to our naked eye, to our physical eye. But God created the natural physical universe. The invisible gave birth to the visible. And the same principle holds true in everything that God does in His work with us. Inward righteousness gives birth to outward righteousness. In other words, we don't make ourselves right with God by the things that we are doing outwardly. And yet, that is what people naturally fall to. And uh, they did it in Judaism. We see it today in Christianity. It happens all the time that man falls into this idea that somehow he can make himself accepted with God based on the outward things that he does, and it makes him feel good about himself. Now, by the time of Christ, the religious leaders in Israel had so entrenched themselves in a system that placed such emphasis on outward demonstrations it brought them into constant conflict with Christ. And um, I want to just give you a little idea of what was going on. First of all, for the first several hundred years of their history in the land of Canaan, the Hebrew people fell under the spell of idol worship. They followed uh, the practices of their neighbors. They, they worshiped Baal and Ashtoreth, and they, they fell into all kinds of sin and idolatry because of what they saw in the neighbors around them, and they copied that. And so they were eventually carried off into captivity. There were two different times uh, they were carried into captivity. First of all, it happened with uh, the northern ten tribes. They were carried off by Assyria. And then uh, Babylon came and conquered the territory of Judah, Benjamin, and carried them into captivity. And when the captives came back and when they were restored, uh, the one thing that did not happen is they didn't fall into idolatry again. The worship of Baal was never uh, what it had been before. 
And so what we see in the time of Jesus is not the idol worship that had been there before. Now, it's still a form of idol worship, but the idols were different. This time, the idols are their human works. That's where they're placing their emphasis. So listen to what Jesus had to say to those that he considered hypocrites. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning of verse 23, he said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Now, he didn't say that paying tithes was wrong and uh, the other good deeds that they did were wrong. He said that they're not as weighty as the inward things. Justice, mercy, and faith, those are things you can't see. But he said those things are more important than the outward things things that you do. These you ought to have done. In other words, he said the outward works were were okay. He said you should have done these without leaving the others undone. And so he's telling us that when you have a system that is primarily focused on outward works without a change of heart, you have a flawed system. He explains it in verse 24. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, there are certain things that you can allow that are absolutely ridiculous, and then you frown on things that are very, very small and inconsequential. He said in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, he says, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so he's condemning them because they have not submitted to an inward change. They don't pursue inward principles, faith, mercy, justice, things that work on the inside of us. They didn't pursue those things. Their primary focus was do things that are visible to men, do things that are seen on the outside, and you'll be okay. Now, the law of Moses was not given to produce such a system, and this is not what the law teaches. A lot of people blame the law of Moses for this system, and it is not the fault of the law of Moses. Paul, the the apostle, said the law was holy and just and good. Here is Isaiah prophesying about this, who's an Old Testament prophet. And he answered and said to them, well did, Jesus did, quoting Isaiah, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what they did is they created this outward system of traditions, oral traditions that were designed to nullify or circumvent the true teachings of the Word of God. And uh, by this, uh, Jesus uh, condemned them and pointed out that they had neglected the inward changes. Remember, in God's plan, it's always like this. The invisible gives birth to the visible, and that works in our behavior. 
Inwardly, we are changed and transformed so that our works on the outside are flowing out of this inward change. Now, Isaiah prophesied that this would be the system that people would fall into. But then he also comes back and says that something is going to happen when that system is at its peak. Here it is, Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19. Now pay attention to this one. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble uh, shall also increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So Isaiah the prophet said, in a time when the emphasis is on outward works as opposed to inward changes, during that season, there is going to be an outpouring of God's healing power, so much so that the deaf will hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity. Now, uh, this is important. Because all through the Old Testament, there were amazing miracles. There were a number of lepers who were cleansed. Uh, there was not a feeble one among the people who left is, uh, Egypt uh, and they crossed the Red Sea. God gave enough physical strength for every Israelite to be able to walk his way out. Nobody had to be carried uh, you know, you've seen maybe some of the movies like Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments and you see people carried on litters. That's not true. That's not accurate to the text. The text says there was not a feeble one among them. So the Jewish people went out in health. But there is no record in all of the Old Testament of a blind eye being opened, nor is there a record of a deaf ear being healed. Now, if there are those cases, uh, they weren't recorded. These were saved for the coming of the Messiah. And Isaiah says, in the day when religion dominates, when the emphasis is on the outward, that's when God sends Messiah and couple of things are going to be known about him. He is going to heal the deaf, heal the blind, and also the humble and the poor are going to be affected. Now this is fascinating to me. Uh, when Jesus was confronted by the disciples of John, and you see this story in Matthew 11, it came to pass that when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities and when John had heard in the prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now here's John having some second thoughts because he had a, a, a misunderstanding about what the Messiah would do. In his mind, the Messiah was going to usher in a huge political change into the nation of Israel, overthrow the Romans, reestablish the throne of David, and uh, it was going to be more of a temporal political move than it was a pure spiritual move. So Jesus answered these disciples of John, and this is what he said to them. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the things that Isaiah said the Messiah would do, I'm doing. And in this time when the religious leaders are placing such an emphasis on outward works, 
I am here to do the real works of God. And so that there was no mistake about it, God saved these healings for this time. The deaf heard, the blind were able to see. First time that had happened in Israel's history. And also during this same time, the poor have a place at the table that they've never had before. Because the primary thrust of Jesus' preaching ministry was to the average person. And that didn't mean he excluded rich people because he didn't. Uh, we see he preached to everybody, but he went after the poor. The, the typical work of religious people would always be to go to those who are well-to-do. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to everybody, and he did not exclude the poor. Now, Jeremiah says this in chapter 31, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the Old Testament prophets said, this will be the nature of the Messiah's ministry. And it's important that we get this. He identified the time. He said, at a day when they are emphasizing outward things to the exclusion of inward work and inward change and inward spiritual characteristic. They, that's what happened in Jesus' day. During that time, I will heal the deaf, I'll heal the blind, and the poor and the humble will be included in the work of God. It's during that time that I am going to change the hearts of men. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring the possibility of new birth to the human race. Now, there's some people, and uh, I, I, I don't want to be highly critical of them, but they believe that in the Old Testament, people were actually born again. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe it is because the sacrifice that brought about new birth uh, had not yet been made. The provision for the changing of the heart had not been made. There were many good things that God gave to Old Covenant believers, but He did not give, uh, for instance, the fullness of the Spirit. Old Testament believers had anointings here and there, the priest or the prophet and the king. They had an anointing of the Spirit, but not the average person. In the New Covenant, we see this inward change so that the average person can be filled with the Holy Spirit, be born again first, then be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's something that didn't happen under the Old Covenant. And that's why I don't believe in this Old Testament regeneration. In the New Testament, it all changed. And that's what Christ came to emphasize. And that's what the prophets pointed to. He's coming to make it possible for the inner man to have the full nature of God. And that's what we've been called to. So the righteousness of faith is primarily designed to create in us a purely righteous inner man so that out from it comes the flow of all the good works that we do outwardly. These things were meant to be connected together, but with a priority on the invisible the invisible part of us is the part that Christ came to change. Well, 
We'll pick up here in the next session. See you then. We're picking up right where we left off and talking about the change that God wanted to do on the inside of those who believe in Him. God does this inward work in us so that we can do outward works and have deeds that happen as a natural offshoot of the change that took place in us. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And this is from the New International Version. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. Your willpower doesn't do it. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. So there's nothing you could do. You know, I I remember thinking before I became a Christian, I thought, you know, I I probably should get right with God. And and so the devil came to me with an idea, and, and it was the devil, and it was a cleverly devised lie to keep me from really putting faith in Christ. And the idea was this, and a lot of people get this, I need to go to church for a while. I need to turn my life around. I need to start doing some good things. And when I've really kind of gotten there and when I change my behavior, then I'll be worthy enough to receive Christ. That's how I thought. And uh, that's how a lot of people think. I'm not, I can't do this yet. I can't believe yet because I, I've got to get myself ready. And there's nothing you can do ever to get yourself ready. You, you, your own righteousness is like a filthy rag, according to God. Then he says this, for we, this is Ephesians 2.10, are God's workmanship. In other words, the change that takes place on the inside of us is something that only God can do. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now this passage, Ephesians 2.8, 9, And often when people quote from this passage, they only quote verses 8 and 9. They don't read verse 10. What happens is when you do that, you disassociate the fullness of the work that God intended to do. Uh, This passage identifies two different workers. God works as only He can do in order to change us on the inside. Remember, it's a spiritual law. The invisible creates the visible. And so in order for us to have outwardly visible works that please God, we first have to be changed where it's invisible, where we cannot see. And that's the change of the heart that God does, and He's the only one who can do that. Uh, It's not the result of any willpower and determination that we have now. Now you can, and a lot of people do, have enough uh, willpower and self-determination to alter their personalities or their habits somewhat. Uh, and uh, we salute people who have that, but you can't bring about your own salvation that way. We are to be recreated with a new set of desires that flow from within. It's not just mental uh, determination. It is a totally new set of desires. When I became a follower of Christ, I was absolutely shocked at my new desires. I knew that I would probably start going to church. I knew that I would start reading my Bible. I knew that when I raised my hand to receive Christ. I had no idea what I was getting. In fact, when I came to Christ, this is what I thought. 
I thought, I am going to receive the forgiveness of my sins. That's all I knew about. And that's all I expected to receive. This idea of being born again and receiving a new nature, that never occurred to me, nor was it preached to me. What was preached to me that brought me to faith was receive the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus died for my sins. That was the emphasis. So I received Christ, but I didn't know anything about what he did in me at that moment. Wasn't prepared for it. And if I wasn't prepared for it, I could not confess it. I could not acknowledge it. I could not embrace it because I had no idea it happened. Now, I could say with all boldness, he forgave my sins. I believe he forgave my sins. But the problem with that is he forgave your past sins. If you're not careful, you fall back into new sins. And what about those? And so I didn't know about the full package that salvation brought to me. Didn't understand about the new birth. Now, I started going to church. And I started noticing some big differences in my inner desires. I actually enjoyed going to church. I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't think that would ever be possible. Well, I actually, here I am, a 17 year old teenager, and I've been going out with my buddies in high school, getting drunk and going to wild parties and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I have a desire to get up early on Sunday mornings during a time that I had normally slept in. I'm going to church. And not only that, I'm going to church where the music is old-timey, southern gospel music, and most of the people in the pews are old people. And uh, it's not a place, at least the church I loved the most, was a place full of older people. And those older people loved me, and they prayed for me all the time. And, and, And listen, it was medicine to me because I had been such a rebel that all adults were pretty much down on me. Other parents didn't like their kids hanging out with me and so forth. But now I'm in a place where all of these older people have a great love for me, and I love that affirmation. I'm drawn to that. I couldn't believe that I liked going to church. I loved hearing the Word. It was amazing to me that the pastor would preach things that I had been thinking about during the week. I had questions, and the Holy Spirit would always lead him to answer my questions on Sunday. That was one of the things that convinced me of the reality of God was that I would go to church, and the, the, the biggest thing that had been on my mind that week, the pastor would stop, and sometimes he'd say, I don't even know why I'm saying this. Well, I knew it was God using him to get to me. God was answering my questions. I, I saw that the Holy Spirit was real in his work. I thought, man, this guy's been spying on me. He's got people going to my house, watching what I'm doing. And here he watches or here he preaches what, exactly what I need to hear. The worship was another thing. I mean, I've been in a rock and roll group. I don't listen. I listen to Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and Cream and, and Led Zeppelin and all these guys. And now all of a sudden, I'm lifting my hands and singing enthusiastically all of these old-time gospel hymns. I had a total change of heart, total change of heart. And then I I wanted to be around those people. I I loved the fellowship with those people. And uh, it just seemed like that God would hook me up with a new one just about every time I went to church. And and these people loved me. They would start praying for me. And um, it, it was a fascinating thing to see the real change that took place in me. Now, here's what we have to know. God works inwardly to do two things both to do a desire and give us the ability 
to do good works. The desire and the ability. Now, in the Old Testament, there were people who had desires to do good, but didn't have the ability. Now, I want to read to you from the book of Romans chapter 7. And the book of Romans chapter 7 is often taught incorrectly. Most teachers don't recognize that this is Paul talking about his experiences as a Jew under the law. They read it as though these are New Testament struggles, and they are not. Uh, Moffat's translation very clearly identifies this in uh, Romans 7.21. He says, so this is my experience of the law. This is what Paul knew under the law of Moses. So let me read it. And I'm reading from 26 translations, and I'll give you the different breakdowns here. Romans 7.18, Knox translation. Of this, I am certain that no principle of good dwells in me, that is, in my natural self. So that flies in the face of what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 just said. We read that, that we have been saved through faith that not of ourselves. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We've been changed. But see, this doesn't say that. This is speaking then of a Jew under the law. Weymouth goes on, said, For the wish to do right is there, but not the power. Now that is not what happens when you're born again. When you are born again, you have both the wish and the power. And that's what happened when Christ died and was raised from the dead. He gave us that ability. Romans 7, 19, Goodspeed says this, I do not do the good things that I want to do. Now, this is not the experience of the New Testament believer. And don't get me wrong, there are New Testament believers who don't do the good things they need to do, but it's because they don't have righteousness awareness. And this is a problem. We have a lot of people who are born again. They do have a new nature. They just don't know about it. And they haven't developed it. They don't have an awareness of it. Consequently, they are living like they did before they came to faith in Christ. We see even preachers falling into all of these things. And it's because they don't have righteousness awareness. You've got to develop that. Montfort says, but the evil which I do not intend to do, that I am ever practicing. Romans chapter 6, the previous chapter, the Apostle Paul says uh, that sin shall not have dominion over you. <clears throat> we have been set free from sin. So Romans 7.21, Moffat says, this is my experience of the law. <coughs> Pardon me. Unfortunately, Bible teachers today don't make this distinction. And they magnify the power of the sin nature over the power of the new nature. Now, somebody says, but I still feel like sinning. Yes, you do in your flesh. Your flesh hasn't been born again. Isn't that going to be a wonderful day when your flesh is born again? When you will never again have a struggle with your flesh to do the right thing, it will want to do the right thing right along with your spirit. But see, in this day and hour, we have to dominate our flesh. You know what Paul said? He said, I keep under my body. He, I keep under my body. He didn't say the Holy Spirit keeps under my body. He said, I keep under my body. I, the new creation man, the spirit inside me, that's I. I keep under my body lest 
when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, in other words, I, I, I will be a reject if I don't keep my body under. I can't let my body do everything it wants to do. So when you are not full of righteousness awareness, you're more aware of your body and your desires of the flesh, and you think that's your nature. And that's why so many people preach Romans 7 from the totally wrong viewpoint. That is that we have no real power. We are still sinners. But that's not the case. We've been born again with a new nature. Now, the sin nature is in the flesh, not in the spirit. Now, here's what happens. The devil masquerades as God to bring condemnation on us, even after we've received Christ. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where I had it. Uh, I had condemnation because I didn't necessarily want to do spiritual things all day long. There were times I wanted to go out and play baseball with my buddies. And when I would be out there playing baseball, the devil would come work on me and say, you know, you could be reading your Bible right now. You could be in prayer right now. And I thought that was God because why would the devil condemn you over uh, playing baseball or, or, or not, re, uh, you know, or, or trying to talk to you about reading your Bible and so forth? The devil wants to make people religious. He tried to get me with the same sins of the flesh. And I resisted those things. I, I resisted the sex sin that had bound me before I became a believer. I, that dropped off in my life. I resisted my alcoholism. I did not give place to that any longer after I came to faith in Christ. But you know what I wasn't ready for? I wasn't ready for the religious things. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And so the devil beat me up and condemned me because I wasn't praying all the time or wasn't reading my Bible all the time. In fact, every morning when I would get ready for school, this condemning thing would come over me. Carry your Bible with you to school. Don't be ashamed of Christ. So I would carry my Bible to school. And if I put it in my books in such a way it, it was hidden, I would be condemned. I had to put it on the outside. I didn't have time to read my Bible at school. I had so much work going on that really it was just window dressing. And some kids do carry their Bibles to school, and I don't condemn you for that. But for me, it was condemnation. Now, I was doing things just to be seen, and I didn't enjoy my salvation. It made me think that pleasing God was impossible. That's, that's what I began to think. I thought, wow, you you got to pray all the time. You can't do normal, natural things anymore. That's the way I thought. And you know, there are people that fall into this stuff. There are parents that get into this stuff. I remember I had an uncle who got saved. He threw the television out of his house. We used to have the most amazing cookouts as a family. He quit doing those. And, and, and the image that it gave to me as a sinner was that once you begin to follow Christ, your life goes to nothing. And they didn't enjoy life anymore. Everything was a sin. And so I was repulsed by that. I didn't like that at all. And, and what happens is God wants to take, or I'm sorry, the devil wants to take away our relevance. He wants to make you so religious that you can't relate to the average person. He wants to take you out of interaction with other people. And, and you become a mystery to people who don't know Christ. God says that our lives are a gospel that can be read and known by all men, meaning that we shouldn't be so standoffish that we have no connection with sinners. Now let's keep going. I was set free. 
I mean absolutely set free by these two verses. And here they are, Philippians 2.13, King James Version. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And here's the second one. I found them both at the same time, 1 John 5.3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Wow. When I saw this, I thought, you know what? God works on me through my desires. And there were days that I desired to play baseball. There were days that I desired to go swimming. There were days that I desired to have fun with my friends. And I felt condemned about that. What Satan wanted to do is to create such a weirdness in me that I couldn't relate to anybody. I remember I had a call to the ministry. I had every intention of following that call. I wanted to be a pastor. The thought of being a pastor thrilled my heart. It's exactly what I wanted to do. But I became fearful that God wanted me to be a missionary. And, and listen, I know a lot of missionaries. And the ones that I know that are truly called, they love it. They were called to do it. It was a burning desire with them. They couldn't wait to get to the mission field. It's what they were born to do. But that wasn't what I was born to do. I was born to be a pastor. And so I felt condemned because I didn't want to be a missionary. And the devil used that to confuse me, to beat me up and beat me over the head because I had another calling. Do you see how this condemnation works? It gives us this idea that we cannot possibly please God. It's just too hard. And that's not what the New Testament teaches. God teaches us in the New Testament that he puts inside us, in the invisible realm, a new spirit with new desires so that we have natural things that come out of us in the visible world that demonstrate the change that took place on the inside. That is the way that God works. Not done with this, but we will finish it. See you in a minute. You know, God wants to use your unique personality. Um, he uses you through the gifts that are naturally within you. And I think one of the most frustrating things in all the world is we develop an idea of how we're supposed to follow God based upon what we've seen in somebody else, and it doesn't really fit us. Uh, you know, before I was saved, I had an ability to gather kids together. Every day at recess, I organized a bunch of kids in my grade to be in my army, and there would be another kid on the other side of the school who would do the same thing. And we would meet and clash out on the flats of our playground, and uh, we'd wrestle each other and so forth. And we played army every, every day. And uh, I was always recruiting. We, we couldn't play army until I recruited enough guys to be in my army. And so that's what I did. I'd go recruiting guys. Uh, you know, when I got into high school, uh, somebody took me out when I was only 15 years old and got me drunk. And I loved it so much, I started doing the same thing with other people. And so by the time I was 16, 17 years old, I had a real problem with alcohol. But I was passing that on to other people. 
And so, uh, but it was out of the flow of my gift. I had an ability to connect people and put people together. I did it for the wrong purposes, but it was in me. And you know, a wise leader can see, even in a sinner, certain gifts. I, I look at a lot of the rock stars and I see the call of God in them. These people are not using the gifts that they had uh, for the cause of Christ, but I can see that person should have been in ministry. They have a magnetic personality. They have an ability to communicate. Unfortunately, it's being used the wrong way. And every now and then, one of them gets saved and turns his personality around to use it for good. After I was saved, I began to gather people together to go to church. And uh, I started creating a list. In fact, I developed my own system of evangelism. I'd never heard anybody do this before. I didn't know that it was possible. What I did is I had one friend who got saved with me. He followed me, got saved a few minutes after I did at a revival. And the two of us would get together, go pick up another friend on a school night, take him out to get a Coke at a drive-in, and then talk to them about our faith and slowly we would win these guys to Christ. It wasn't long before we had a whole two carloads of guys who would go to church with me every week. And I organized that all the time. They would get dressed, go to church, and there were some Sundays I couldn't be there. I would go off and visit my uncle who was a pastor. But they would keep it up. They would go to church by themselves even when I wasn't there. So it was an amazing thing that happened. I had gathered these guys together for church, and the way that I was used for evil in the days before, it was flipped and God used me for good. You know, what was another thing that was funny was, is that from the earliest days of my walk with Christ, kids were drawn to me. And when I would go down to pray at the altar, I would see little kids praying and something just would come over me. As a teenage boy, 17 years old, I'd get up, walk across the church, kneel down by some of those little guys. I was like a hero to them. And when I would come to church, those kids would be standing at the door waiting on me. It got so bad that the pastor had to ask the parents to tell their kids, let Willie come in the door, let him sit with his friends at church because the kids would smother me when I got there. And uh, so early, early on, there was a mag magnetism in me toward children's ministry. I didn't want to do it. It was not something that I really cared about doing, but I had that and I could see that. So I had a gift in me naturally. It was used the wrong way early, but as I became a follower of Christ, I learned how to use that gift in the right way. Now, here's what happened. The devil couldn't get me with the old sins of the flesh, so you know what he does? He comes with condemnation. And I saw a street preacher. I saw a guy out on the street preaching and telling people they're going to hell if they didn't get right with God. And uh, there was no connection between him and any of the people who walked by on the sidewalk. In fact, he wouldn't even look people in the eye. He was looking right over their heads, and he just preaching. And you can tell this guy's doing this for himself, and bless his heart, I, I hate it that people get trapped in that kind of stuff. And it has to be one of the most frustrating things in all the world because there's not a whole lot of fruit in that. 
You know, I don't think that's what God called us to. But the devil would love to take people and make them so weird they don't have any relevance to the average person. Now, I'm not saying nobody ever gets saved when a street preacher's on the street because I do believe there are some people who have a gift like that who can do it. They're very comfortable with it. But when it's right, there's a connection and it's made naturally. And so you flow within the gift that God puts into your heart. Condemnation came all over me because I thought that I had to do that in order to really please God. I remember sitting at lunch one day, and we're in this big high school cafeteria, 2,600 kids in our high school, and uh, the devil comes to me and says, why don't you stand on the table right now and yell at the top of your lungs and tell all these kids they're going to hell if they don't get saved? I didn't do it. And uh, I thought that was God, thought it was the Holy Spirit telling me to do that. Why would the devil tell me to do something like that? Well, he was working condemnation in me. And then I had just read Romans 10, 13, whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. The literal meaning of that, whoever believes in him shall not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed if you receive Christ. And uh, so I had read it from the King James, not fully grasping it. And the devil used that scripture on me, just like he tried to use scriptures on Jesus to get Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And when I didn't do that, he condemned me. And he said, you're ashamed of Jesus. Well, I wasn't going to stand up and preach uh, and tell everybody in my school they were all going to hell if they didn't get saved. I wasn't going to do that. And so the devil said, see, that proves you really didn't come to Christ. Whoever believes in him is not ashamed. Now, now that may sound ridiculous to you, but that's the kind of condemnation that I struggled with. And unfortunately, my mother was uh, addicted to drugs at the time. That's who I lived with. I had nobody to talk to. I had no adult in my life to talk to. Even my friend's parents uh, would, would try to talk me out of my faith in Christ and try to tell me not to be so zealous for God. So I had nobody to talk to. Once a week or twice a week I'd go to church, and that's when I would, would get a little bit of counsel uh, but it was few and far between that I had good heart-to-heart talks in those early days, and so I lived in a constant state of condemnation. Now, when the Lord spoke to me about starting Church on the Move back in 1987, I became convinced it was what God wanted me to do. I was shocked my wife didn't want to do it. And uh, she just dug her heels in. She said, I'm not going to help. And I couldn't believe it. We were out on a walk in our neighborhood, and I said, baby, what's wrong? And she started crying. And finally, she told me what was in her heart. She said, I can't be a pastor's wife. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, we've been in churches where the pastor's wife did this and did that, and they, they were at the church all the time. And she said, that's not me. And I said, baby, I, I don't want you to do those things. That's not at all what I need from you. I need you to keep doing what you're doing. Just be my wife, love on me, and love on the kids. And by the way, there is no shame in being a housewife and loving your home and loving your family. Don't let this pressure from the world for every woman to have a career, and that's out there, and it's really big time, and it's prevalent in the body of Christ. Now, now listen to me carefully. There are some women who want to be with their husbands in the pulpit, who stand beside them, who love that visibility, and, and, and I see that that's a gift. It's not the gift that God gave my wife. And I convinced her, you don't have to do anything different. 
I think that we did a pretty good thing because we've turned out four amazing kids, and and now they're in their 40s, and uh, one just turning 30. And uh, you can see that the hand of God's all over our family. So my wife had a great part to do in that, but she did it by being herself. Listen to what Romans 12, 6 says. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. See, God works outside with what he put on the inside of you. My ministry in the pulpit is not the ministry of a great preacher. I've never been a great preacher. I'm an explainer. That's what my gift is. And I have tried at times to fit into the mold that other people have and to be like them, and it doesn't work. That's not me. My job is to explain hard and complicated ideas and put them into simple terms. And so I've learned to rest in that. And it may not be the flashiest thing. It may not be the thing that puts me on national television. That's okay. I am doing what I'm supposed to do, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. This is one of the things that I've seen down through the years. And it's this, is that we want to force on our fellow believers some things that we prefer to do or want to do or think that we have to do. Years ago, there was a certain so-called revival that broke out in a southern city, and uh, thousands of people flocked to it. And we had some people from our church who went to it. And this is what Jesus said about people who have spiritual experiences. He said, you'll know them by their fruits. So these people came back from the revival And when they came back, I noticed that they all had pretty much the same trait. They would sit in the service or stand in worship, and they would have their arms folded like this, and they're looking around at people, and they're absolutely disgusted with the people in our church, not because of their exuberant worship. Our people are singing to God. They're lifting their hands These people want to make all kinds of weird sounds. They want to shake and quake. They want to run. They want to fall. They want to do all of these bizarre things in the services. And I didn't allow that to go on. And the reason I didn't is because it was confusing to baby Christians and definitely confusing to newcomers. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 talks to us about how we behave in a service. For instance, he says, if all of you speak in tongues at the same time, will the newcomers who come in, will they not say you're mad? The idea is that we as believers, when we are in the presence of a group of people who don't know the Lord, or baby Christians, we don't do things that would confuse them. We don't do things that would make them feel uncomfortable. We have a very keen awareness to the people around us. We're there to help them. Now, what I want you to see is a lot of people have this idea is I'm going to do what I want to do, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to be on fire for God. And I've watched people like that over the long haul. And you know what I've seen? Most of the time, they completely lose their kids because they get so extreme that they can't follow those things that are practical. I remember a spirit coming over me when I was a youth pastor. 
And we had raised all kinds of money. We had garage sales and bake sales and all this money to take our kids on a snow skiing trip. And our kids were not well off. And there were a few of them who had the money to go skiing. But but we're talking about a lot of kids on buses. I, I took bus kids on this ski trip. And we helped them raise the money to go. And once we'd raised all the money, there was something that came over me. It was a religious spirit. And it hit me in the middle of the night over and again. This would really please God if you would take all this money and give it to missions. And I really leaned on that. And thank God I had a pastor who had some common sense who talked to me and said, that'll be the worst thing you can do because you have pointed these kids toward this ski trip. They're all expecting to go. And without their permission, without their consent, here at the end, you're going to take and bait and switch them. You're going to take this money and give it to missions. We have money to give to missions. We don't need to take the kids' ski trip money and give it to missions. See, you have these ideas that you think are God. They're not God. And I, I thank God for all those experiences I had because as I matured, I learned how to stay grounded. And I learned something about the character of God. And the character of God is that he leads us outwardly by inward changes. And it's not extremism that brings people to Christ. It is people who live natural lives that are fruitful, that are engaging, that care about their fellow man, who live in the real world with real answers. I hope that you've enjoyed this series. I do. I hope that you've gained a lot from it. My prayer is that you'll go back through it, write down the scriptures that I've quoted, Make note of these things. Keep them in a place where you can dig them up and find them because these ideas will change your life. Thank you for joining me. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.